All right, well, um, gosh, I haven't heard my voice on a sound system in a long time. Um, so it's interesting, when we first started uh, this series, we're, we've been going through Jonah, and oh, I got to stay in one place too, I forgot about that. Um, when we first started this series on Jonah, I uh, kind of thought like, oh, this would be cool, it'd be cool to go through, you know, a whole book of the Bible, uh, not do something topical and... And what's actually ended up happening is I feel like every section that we get into has been unbelievably relevant uh, to the current situation that we kind of find ourselves in. And, and that's going to be true for today as well, because uh, today we're talking about storms and fear. Storms and fear. You know, fear has um, a way of making us act different than we normally would. And, and storms have a way of uncovering things that we didn't really know were there before. When I, uh, when I was, gosh, in maybe fifth or sixth grade, I lived in California. Um, and my family at the time, um, th th this story is on a Friday. I remember a lot of vivid details from this story. Um, it was a Friday, and my brother had a friend over from out of town, and he was staying with us for the weekend. And uh, we had planned to go out to dinner that night, and we were going to Ed's Mudville Grill, one of my favorites. Uh, it was great, great spot. And throughout the day, I started feeling more and more sick. Um, you know, probably about noon, I first started feeling it. And then as 3 o'clock rolled around, I realized I had a, a fever, a pretty bad fever. And uh, what I didn't realize that it was like the beginning of this really bad flu that I was going to get. And um, by about the time we were going to head out to dinner, I felt horrible. I felt like, like I was dying and I just needed to go sleep. And so I went to my mom and I said, look, I'm sick. Like, it's, it's not good. I need to go sleep. You guys go without me. Have fun. I probably sounded a little different because I was in fifth or sixth grade. But... Essentially, that's what I was saying. It's like, you guys go, I'll stay. I'm just going to sleep until you get back. And so my parents head off to Ed's, and uh, I hit the sack. And I remember uh, waking up in complete and utter fear because uh, I had a bad dream. I, I had a dream that someone was going to blow up our house. And as I woke up in this fear and this panic, I had a really high fever, uh, a lot higher than I think I knew I had. And, and I started having trouble distinguishing what was reality and what was the dream that I was having. And I was in such a panic that I got up and I got out of bed and I thought, someone's blowing our house up. Someone set a bomb in here and the, the ticker's counting and I need to get out. And so in a panic, I run down the stairs and I run out the front door, and I'm wearing nothing but boxers, and I go head on down the street, full speed, as fast as I can. And I get about four or five houses down when I start to come to my senses a little bit, and I start to realize that, okay, wait, this is actually kind of crazy. There's no, no one's going to blow up our house. We live in, like, the suburbs in a gated subdivision. Like, this is, this is crazy. I mean... There's, there's something, okay, this is not real. This fear is unfounded. I'm going to go back up to the house. 
and walk in, no one's blowing up our house. And so I head back to the house, open the front door, head inside, and I look at the clock and I notice that it's 6.45 a.m. And I think, wait, why is no one home? 6.45 in the morning, no one's home. And the fear came rushing back and I thought, wow, my whole family must be dead. Like that was the first thing that popped into my head uh, with this high fever was everyone's gone. They must have gone out to dinner, got in a car crash, and died, and now it's just me here alone at the house. And so I pick up the phone, home phone, if you remember what those were, and I called 911, <laughs> and I tell the dispatcher, hey, my whole family is dead, and I'm home alone. And so they go ahead, and they say, I'm going to send someone out. And I hang up with the cops, and at that point, it starts to hit me again that maybe this is a little crazy. And so... I think, well, I guess I could have called my mom first to check. And so I call my mom, and to my amazement, she picks up the phone. And I say, Mom, what's going on? It's 6.45 in the morning. Where are you guys? This is crazy. Like, I, I thought you guys were dead. She says, it's 6.45 p.m. We've been gone like 45 minutes. And I say, well, I, I called the cops, so you should probably come home. Uh, and I, she got home and dealt with the police, told, her, told them that she has a crazy son. Um, but I think fear has a way of making us do things that we normally wouldn't do. Uh, storms in our life have a way of revealing parts of us that maybe we would rather keep hidden. Um, we've been going through Jonah. And uh, the last few weeks, we uh, have talked about how Jonah was called by the Lord to go to Nineveh. God calls on Jonah and says, You're, I want you to go to Nineveh. And what they say to, or what, what Jonah says to God is, no, I'm not going. And so he takes off, he runs from God, and he gets on a boat headed to Tarshish. Tarshish, is, that's a hard word to say, but I think I did pretty good. Um, so he, he gets on this boat, he's headed to Tarshish, he's trying to get as far away from where God has called him to be as possible. And God, we learned last week that God sends a storm. And that's where we are going to pick up this week. We're going to pick up um, kind of in some of the same spots we were last week. Um, but we're going to pick up in verse 5, and it says this. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. So there's a storm and the sailors are afraid. And these are guys who had been in a lot of storms. But this storm is different. This storm has them freaked out. It says that they were all afraid and they all cried out to their own gods. I think storms have a way of getting us to cry out to our gods. These sailors, uh, they're from this polytheistic culture. That's why it says they all call out to their own gods. Because what you would do in this kind of polytheistic culture, uh, they didn't have this idea of their, this one overarching you know, transcendent God who controls everything. It was more of, uh, they had this idea or this um, concept that all created things could be worshiped. And so 
there was a God of all created things. There's a God of the ocean and a God of the sun and a God of the moon and a God of the crops and a God of money. And so what you did was you had to choose which God are you going to worship? Because you couldn't worship all of them. There's too many. You couldn't worship all of them. So you had to decide, which God am I going to worship? And I think that that's actually not so different um, from us today. First, you might think, okay, no, we don't have a lot of polytheists around anymore. You know, either you believe in maybe one God or no God at all. But um, even someone who says that, I'm not religious, I, I don't believe. They still take some created thing, whether it's their job, their kids, their money, their, their success, and they say, this is the thing that's gonna give me purpose. This is what gives my life meaning. This is what gives my life value. The truth is that I think we all worship something. Even people who say they don't, they've never been to a worship in their life, the, tr the truth is we all do worship something. And so we're really not all that different, um, maybe from these, these polytheistic sailors from thousands of years ago. If you grew up in the church, you might have heard the, the kind of cheesy analogy that you have a God-shaped hole in you and you try to fill it with different stuff. I'm not going to use that analogy because it's too cheesy. But that's essentially the idea, right? Uh, that we all end up worshiping something. In verse 7, it continues. It says, Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So, Essentially, what they're doing here, they're not casting a lot. They're not fishing on the boat. They are uh, rolling the dice. They're, they're flipping a coin. They're essentially you know, doing a little rock, paper, scissors, odd man out. And whoever the odd man out is, they're thinking, OK, that's the guy whose fault it is. And um, just an aside, this is probably a really bad decision-making strategy for life. Uh, if you go around every decision you need to make and flip a coin, heads I do it, tails I don't, that's probably going to leave you in a bad spot. But that's what the, the sailors do, and God actually uses it to show them something. He shows them that something is going on with Jonah. And so in verse 8 it says, they ask him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? What people are you from? From what people are you? They hit him with this barrage of questions, one after the other after the other, rapid fire. He doesn't even have a chance to, to answer because um, they're panicked. And, and essentially what they're doing is they're asking him, who are you? What's going on here? What's your identity? Why is this happening to us? They want to know what's going on. Jonah answers in verse 9. He says, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. So at this point, for the sailors, things have gone from bad to worse, right? They started off scared. Now it says they're terrified. And they use this term here. They say, what have you done? And if you were a Hebrew reading this, you would recognize this term from Genesis 3. 
After Adam and Eve eat of the fruit, after the fall, God comes to them, and he uses this same exact term, the same exact wording in Hebrew, to say, what have you done? There's a seriousness that's happening. There's the gravity of the situation is hitting home. And it continues in verse 11 and says, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? So they, they start off afraid and they, and they call out to their own gods, right? That doesn't work. So they're like, well, our God's not working. Let's try yours. What do we got to do? They start to get maybe religious. So, like, we shouldn't live for career or money or power or comfort. We need to start, what, going to church maybe? I need to become a good person. Then God will protect me and I won't be afraid. Uh, later, uh, we're going to see that they actually begin to bargain with God. They, they start to ask God, okay, so what do we need to do in order for you to do this? If, if I do blank, what will you do for me, God? How do we make this uh, magic genie work, maybe, is kind of how they're viewing it at this point. I think, have we ever caught ourselves bargaining with God? Have we ever been in a storm, especially in a storm, where we look at God and, and we think, God, I'll do, I'll do whatever you want. I'll get up early, and I'll do quiet times. I'm going to share you with you know, all my coworkers, which is pretty easy for me to do. Um, but I'll, I'll, do, I'll do anything you want. If only you will help me in this way. If only you'll help me get the, the job promotion that I want. If only you'll help my kids be successful. If only you'll you know, pay off the, the debt that I'm in. If only you'll blank, fill in the blank, whatever it might be. We say, I'll do anything for you, God, if. And the... I'll, the, the crazy thing is God, what God wants from us, the one thing he wants from us is, is for us to love him without ifs. Because I think on the other side of our if is our real God. So what happens next? We get to verse 12, and Jonah says this. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord. This is where they start bargaining. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. There's a question here at the very beginning in verse 12. That I, I, when I read this, I asked, why does Jonah say, pick me up and throw me into the sea? What's, what's happened to him at this point that he's, he's thinking, okay, I need to be thrown into the sea? And as I was researching this, I was reading a lot of um, learned people that talked about the different reasons they thought that Jonah was doing it. And it seemed like no one agreed. Some people were saying, okay, he, Jonah has had this change of heart. He's realized, I've sinned against God, I've done this horrible thing, and I deserve to be thrown into the ocean. And other people were saying, no, it's actually the opposite. It's actually him saying, I would rather die than go to Nineveh. I'd rather die than obey God. 
So is, is Jonah submitting to God or is he rebelling against God? I think the truth is, is actually somewhere in the middle because if we take a look, he actually comes to his senses not while he's looking at God, not while he's talking to God because he's yet to, to even address God at this point. But he starts to come to his senses while he's looking at the sailors. In verse 12, he says, I know that it's my fault that this great storm, this great storm has come upon you. And it's the first time in the book of Jonah that we've seen Jonah think about someone other than Jonah. I mean, from the very beginning, God has called him to go to this country, to, to Nineveh, to the city. And he's like, I don't care about those people. I'm not going. And then he gets on the boat and the storm starts to happen and like they have to do this casting lots to figure out who it is because he doesn't care about the sailors. But something changes in Jonah at this point and he begins to care about the sailors. And it might just be pity at this point, but, but it's the first time we see Jonah care about someone other than himself and he realizes that you should not be dying for me. I'll die for you. So what happens next? Verse 15, they take Jonah and they throw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. This, this part, at first, doesn't really make sense, right? So we start with a big storm and the sailors have a big fear. And the storm gets worse, it gets bigger, and they have Bigger fear, they're terrified. And now there's no storm, and what would you expect? You would expect that there would be no fear, right? The math doesn't really add up on, on it. And you think, well, what's happening here? I think um, Psalm 130 actually does a pretty good job of revealing to us what is happening. Psalm 130 starts off in verse 1, and it says this, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. I mean, this, this part of the, of the psalm, Psalm 130, this very beginning part, it actually sounds like it could be the sailors talking. Like, God, the storm is bad. I am calling out to you for mercy. Please, I mean, do something, God. Please, we need you. Help. It's passionate. I, I, I feel like that's what the, the sailors are feeling. And it continues on and says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. That you may be feared. It's weird to think that there's forgiveness that causes fear. So there's a big storm big fear, bigger storm, bigger fear, and now there's no storm, and there's a new fear. And I think this is exactly what the psalmist is, is talking about here, that there's this awe-type fear of the Lord that has come in and taken the place of the fear for, their, for these sailors. Up, up until this point, the sailors have been afraid. They've been afraid of the storm, and they've been afraid of God. But there's a new kind of fear now that the storm has died down, there's a new kind of awe and amazement and wonder at who God is. And it's not just because the storm stopped. It's because something has opened their eyes at this point. 
At this point, what they've seen is they've seen a sacrifice of love. They've seen someone who is a willing substitute, someone who said, I will die so you don't have to. In, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 4, there's a, a New Testament story that's like parallel, almost identical to the language of the story of Jonah. And it's Mark 4, it starts in verse 35, and it's about Jesus calming the storm. It says, That day, when the evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall, it's a storm, furious storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, said, Quiet, be still. The wind and the waves died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. See, both Jesus and Jonah were in a boat overtaken by the storm. And the descriptions of both stories are almost identical. Both Jesus and Jonah were asleep in the boat. In both stories, the sailors wake up the sleeper and say, We're going to die. You need to do something. In both cases, there's a miraculous divine intervention that causes the storm to stop. The sea is calmed. And in both stories, actually, the sailors are more terrified after the storm than when they were in it. There's two almost identical stories, and there's just really one difference. In, in the midst of the Jonah story, in the midst of that storm, the sailors, in effect, say there's only one, or, or Jonah says, in effect, to the sailors, there's only one thing you can do. Throw me off. Throw me out. I'll perish so you can live. I'll, I'll, I'll die so you don't have to. And they throw him into the sea. That doesn't happen in the Mark story. But I think it does actually happen in the Mark story. When you zoom out and take a full life of view uh, uh, of the entire story of Jesus, you see that it does happen. See, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says that one greater than Jonah is here, referring to himself, saying, I'm the true Jonah. Someday, he's saying, someday, I'm going to calm all the storms. I'm going to still all the waves. I'm, I'm going to destroy dest destruction. I'm going to break brokenness, and I'm going to kill death. Because when, when Jesus was on the cross, he was thrown willingly, like Jonah, into the waves, into the storm of sin and death. See, when Jonah is thrown from the boat, the sailors see a picture of Jesus, and they've discovered the love that casts out all other fear. And so at this point, you might be thinking, okay, I get it. So we stop living for created things, and we follow Jesus, but we don't do it in like a works righteousness sort of way. We need to see the real Jesus. But I think it's um, not that easy, because I think we can know the right answers, 
But it's another thing to inhabit it in our lives. Um, Jonah is kind of a perfect example of this, actually. In verse 9, he says, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And he's literally running from God on a boat while he says this. I mean, he's saying, look, I follow God who controls everything, including the ocean, and he's on a boat in the ocean running away from him. And so he, he gets it. He's got the right theology, but there's a disconnect from here to here. Like, he, he's got the doctrine down, but it's not having any effect on how he lives. It hasn't quite invaded his heart yet, right? And I think what storms do is they reveal our foundations. They said at the beginning, they show us things that maybe we'd hid a long time ago. Um, Jesus talks about uh, the two men who build houses. One builds a house on a foundation of sand, the other building a house on the foundation of the rock. And both houses function almost exactly the same. You, you couldn't really even tell there's a difference in the houses until a storm comes. And the storm reveals the foundation. I think in my own life of the storms that have revealed where I find safety and security in things other than Jesus, the storms in my life that have revealed Gosh, my house is built a lot more on the sand than I'd like to admit. That's why we actually need storms in our lives. That's why we can actually look at storms and say, that, that, that's a good thing in my life. You know, Romans 5.3, it's why it says in Romans 5.3, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. We rejoice in sufferings because it creates something in us. James 1, verses 2 and 3 say, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There's this idea in here of a, of a silversmith who gets the raw silver, and in order to purify that raw silver, he has to melt it down. And every time a silversmith melts down the silver, the impurities come to the top, and he, and he wipes those impurities away. And he has to continue this process over and over, continuing to wipe the impurities away. And the more and more pure the silver gets, the better and better the silversmith can see his reflection in the silver. I think perhaps that's what God is doing to us in the midst of these storms in our lives. See, for the sailors... Their goal was for the storm to end. God's goal was for them to know him. You know, their, their plan was to, to fix their circumstances, and God's goal was to fix their hearts. Their, what they wanted was for God to do something for them, and God wanted to do something in them. And I think so often we forget that the only storm that could ever truly sink us has already been taken care of by Jesus on the cross. In his, in his death and resurrection, the, the real storm, the storm that actually matters, has been taken care of. And so why, then, do we think that God would abandon us in the storms that we face on a daily basis? Someday, 
Jesus will return, and he will still all the storms for eternity. He, he's already told us the end of the story. I think because of that, we can face the storms that, that we struggle with today completely differently, knowing, knowing that God is in the boat with us. Do, do we actually live like that? Do we actually live like God is in the boat with us? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the storms. I know that they are hard. And while we're going through them, it seems like they're dark and we get fearful and we cry out. Lord, I pray that you would use storms in our life like you did in these sailors' life. Pray that you would use storms to get our attention. You would use storms to, to show us where our foundations are. And that you would move the, the truth from our head into our heart. God, I thank you that you took care of the ultimate storm. That in you, we truly do have nothing to fear. Because you loved us so much that you threw yourself willingly into the waves of sin and death for us. God, we love you. We trust you. I pray that we would live like you're in the boat with us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.